So there were a lot of influential books in the 20th century, um, but one that continues to make a lasting impact on people from a lot of different walks of life is, is a book that was published in 1946 by the name of Man's Search for Meaning. It was written by a guy named Victor Frankl. You can see his picture here on the screen. And he was a Jewish psychiatrist, and he lived through World War II and was in the Auschwitz concentration camp, which you see a picture of there, obviously one of the most heinous events in human history, um, just absolute horror. He lived through it. And, and this book, this book is about his observations of survival in these concentration camps. And he was noticing who was, who was surviving, who was giving up. And, and, and what he found in the book was it wasn't the, those who were the physically strongest or even the mentally strongest that survived. It was, it was the people who had a hope that was set before him. They had a belief about their future that sustained them in the present, even as horrible as it was. So he says in his book, he says, the, the prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Elsewhere, he says this. This is powerful. He says, life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation. Only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their inner liberty and inner strength. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if we have a hope that neither suffering, circumstances, nor death itself can destroy. Even in literally the worst suffering, the humanity, humanity can experience. Frankel found people that had a hope, something that sustained them a belief about their future, even in the midst of a concentration camp that kept them alive. And if it's true for that situation, certainly it's true for us that, that hope, whatever our hearts are looking forward to, whatever we're waiting for, whatever that ultimate future is, that ultimate source of meaning, that is sustaining us in the present. What we believe ultimately about what is ahead of us always shapes where we are in the here and now. So that brings us to uh, the season we're entering into today, the season of Advent. And Advent is it's a season of anticipation of the birth of Jesus, the promised Messiah. Advent literally means arrival. And it gives us an opportunity every year to reexamine our hope and ask the question, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for to arrive in order for us to find meaning here in the present because what lies ahead of us, that's what gives us meaning where we are, right? So that's why we're calling this Advent series The Wait, because all of us, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, believer, skeptic, doubter, wherever you are, you have something that you're waiting for. So, so today we ask the question, really, what are you waiting for? So this is coming in a time, ironically, where all of our technologies and our advancements are, are moving forward to where waiting is essentially obsolete. Um, we, we don't have to wait for hardly anything anymore. How many of you have set up Amazon Prime in preparation for, for Christmas? My, my wife has absolutely destroyed the send button on Amazon Prime this Christmas. She has absolutely <laughs> killed it. There's so many boxes it looks like we're moving 
Um, but that's, you know, that's just two days for Amazon Prime. They have a new thing that's supposedly coming out here in the next few years. I don't know if you've heard of this called Prime Air. You can look on the screen here and see a picture of this drone, this monstrosity that when you click on Prime Air, supposedly it will drop the package off your house within 30 minutes or less. That's just, uh, that's crazy. Waiting is obsolete now. We, we, we don't have to go to the library. We can rent our library books on our Kindles now. We don't have to go inside the grocery. We have click list. Everything is created to keep us from waiting because waiting is obsolete. And that's what makes Advent, it's what makes faith itself a shock to the modern American system. The act of waiting, you guys, is, is central to our story. All throughout the scriptures, the expression of faith in God and his promises is shown by, by waiting for God to act on our behalf. Faith is actually the bridge between what is promised and the fulfillment. Think about the, all these examples in Scripture of waiting. Like Abraham waited 25 years between the promise of, of his son and the birth of Isaac. Jacob, he waited 14 years between the promise of marrying Rachel and actually marrying her. Then there's, there's 13 years of slavery and imprisonment between jo Joseph's dream that he would rule and, the, and then the reality of his ruling in Egypt. And there, there were 40 years between Moses leaving Egypt in exile and his encounter with God at the burning bush. And then with David even, 15 years between at the point where he's anointed king and when he actually took the throne over and over and over again in Scripture, we learn that faith is born in the space between God's promise and God's fulfillment. And that's where there's a lot of promises in the Bible, but we have to understand that there's really all these promises are leading up to one big central promise. And that's the promise that in the darkness and brokenness of our world, God would send a Messiah, a Savior, to, to not only save his people from their sin, but to usher in the restoration of all creation. All throughout the Old Testament, there are hints at his coming. And one of, the, one of my favorites is actually in Isaiah 9, this prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. It says this starting in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they have rejoiced at harvest time and as they have rejoiced when, you, when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. 
You see, what Isaiah is promising here is not a new moral teacher. He's not promising a better ideal. He's not promising a utopian figurehead or a new book or a new philosophy. What he is giving us and promising us is a person is coming, and not just any person. This person will be a king, someone who will overcome the darkness and put the world to rights. That's no small promise, friends. Because all of us, no matter our religious background, our political affiliation, our our cultural influences, there's one thing that every one of us can agree on, I, I guarantee you, is that when we look out at the world around us, when we watch the news and we scroll through social media, it becomes it becomes abundantly clear that something is not right with this world, right? There's something inherently broken all around us, everywhere we look. And, and if we're even more honest, there's something broken within us, and we feel that ache, that something's just not right. The Bible, it calls it a groan, and it says that we're, we're not alone in feeling it. It says that creation itself, the world we live in, it, it, it groans for redemption. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I love that Paul uses the picture of labor pains to describe the, the state of the world we're living in. I, I have never had labor pains. I think you probably could have guessed that, but I've been around labor pains. And, and let me tell you, there's that promise that's out ahead of you. You know that something beautiful, something amazing is coming, the birth of this baby that you're going to love, that's going to change your life, and you can't wait with joyful expectation. But you know in between the joy of that coming is a lot of pain, is a lot of struggle. And that, I love that picture, thinking about Mary this Christmas season, this Advent season, and the labor pains that she would feel, and the promise that was ahead of her, the pain that was ahead of her. And, and that's where we look at the Christmas story itself in Luke chapter 1 and begin to see this unfold of the promise, the ultimate promise that arrived and was offered to Mary. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Skipping down to verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. If you've heard this story before, It's incredibly easy, as many of us have, to just gloss over it and lose sight of the power and lose sight of the story that's happening within the story. Because Gabriel gives Mary this incredible promise, the the one that the whole world has longed for, that all creation is groaning for, the one that will bring redemption and restoration to all things is inside her womb. That is an incredible promise. And yet for Mary, this promise was not without pain. You see, as a poor, unwed teenager that's about to become a mom, she would have to navigate the future of being an unwed mother in an honor and shame culture in the Middle East that would have made her an outcast probably for the rest of her life. She would have been ostracized. Jesus himself, as her child, probably would have been ostracized, would have been held out of things her whole life. Not only that, imagine having this conversation with Joseph and her family. Later on, after Jesus was born, she'd, she'd have to fear for her life and flee to Egypt as a political refugee, escaping violence from Herod. And not only that, as, as this promise she's given that she's bearing the Son of God, it wouldn't be 30 years before Jesus enters his full-time ministry and starts to live out the public identity as Savior and Lord that we know him to be all that time, waiting on this promise, standing in the pain, and knowing that there was something ahead of her, knowing that there was something she was waiting for that gave meaning to the present, even in the pain. If we learn anything from Mary, guys, it's this, is that hope in us comes alive When the promise is more powerful than the pain. And when the promise is more powerful than the pain, we do something that's so spiritually powerful and transformative. You know what we do? We wait. And you see, the season of Advent doesn't ignore the pain around us. It doesn't ignore the pain within us. It's not about numbing our wounds with nostalgia. It's not about giving off some sort of vague sense of optimism in a scary world. On the contrary, Advent is a season of seeing the darkness around us, seeing the pain within us, and knowing that the world, knowing that we are not as we should be. And it's not that the pain isn't real. It's not the pain isn't present. It's just that for us, the promise, the promise is more powerful than the pain. And so even in our pain, we cling to that promise. And as we cling to that promise, we wait. 
And so the question for us today is, is very simple and very direct. What are we waiting for? What is the hope within us? What promise, what future is shaping your present? And if, if it's a promise, is it a promise that's more powerful than the pain that you feel right now? You see, our problem is not a lack of hope. All of us have hope. All of us have something that we're looking forward to. It's a matter of whether that's a misplaced hope. It's a matter of whether that's a hope that, that can sustain our present, that can, a promise that can, can withstand our pain. Friends, if, if your ultimate hope is the American political system to transform our reality, guess what? That's a misplaced hope. Amen? And if you're looking for a relationship, that, that future husband, that future wife, good thing, yes. But if you're looking to that to sustain your present or to sustain your future, guess what? That's a misplaced hope. If you're looking for your kid's performance to validate you as a parent, guess what? That's a misplaced hope. And your kids, I promise you, they cannot bear the weight of your hope. And don't get me wrong, these are good things. America, relationships, kids, good things, but even good things, they can't bear the weight of our hope. See, the truth is, our life right now, for better or for worse, is a direct reflection of our hope, of whatever our hearts are longing for. Tim Keller, he's a pastor, he puts it this way, he says, you and I, we are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We are controlled not by how we live now, but what we think will happen later. Christian hope has to do with the ultimate future and not the immediate. So as we move into a time of reflection and response, I want us to get honest with ourselves. If our present is controlled by what we believe about the future, then really, what are we waiting for? Let's take an honest look at our decisions, at our emotions, at our time and our attention, what is driving us, and can't it truly bear the weight of our ultimate hope? And secondly, I, I want us to, to move into this time being aware that, that, that many of us are sitting right now in a season of pain, that we are deeply aware of the brokenness in the world around us, that we're experiencing fear, we're experiencing anxiety, and we're, we're maybe even aware of the brokenness that's within us. And Advent is a season, friends, where we can stop pretending, we can cry out to God, and we can learn to trust. My encouragement for, for us today is this, is to let the promise transform the present. Let the promise that, that Jesus gives us in Revelation 20, 21, where he says, I am making everything new, that he is bringing restoration to all things. Let that hope, let that promise transform your present. Let the ultimate future of what Jesus is bringing into us, or into our lives, change the way that we see and live in our realities, even in the midst of of our pain. Whatever you are facing today, whatever struggle, whatever heartache, whatever disappointment, Advent tells us that we have a promise that can change the way we see our present. That's our hope today. Let me pray for us. 
Jesus, thank you for being our promise. Scriptures say that every promise is a yes in you, that every promise leads to you. And so, Jesus, meet us today in our present, not in some pretend world where we have a mask on that everything's okay, but meet us in our reality. Meet us in what hurts us. Meet us in our pain and struggle. And let your promise, let your love for us transform our present, transform our pain. Jesus, we offer you this time of reflection and response as we listen to what you're saying to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.